Dear Ned, interested to hear your struggles against the Turks and Germans in the Middle East. I'm, I'm in a place called Verdun. episode of the Indiana Jones Universe, a podcast in which we learn more about the character of Indiana Jones, exploring other content in the Indiana Jones Universe. As always, I'm Will. And I'm Max. And thanks for joining us for episode 22, in which today we're continuing our discussion and exploration of the young Indiana Jones television series with Chapter 9, Demons of Deception, an intriguing title that kind of portrays some hidden themes in this episode as Indy continues fighting in World War I with the Belgian army and partakes in one of the most significant and famous battles in all of history, the Battle of Verdun in 1916. He reunites with Remy, and together they fight in the trenches yet again, and Indy is also a motorcycle messenger, and kind of learns the hardships and the different perspectives of the war. And in the second half, Indy returns to Paris, where we saw him in Chapter 2, Passion for Life. This time he is on a two-week leave with Remy, and Indy meets dancer Mata Hari, and things escalate quickly from there, as she is also suspected to be a German spy. Now, this was a very interesting episode that had a lot of action going on, and picked up really right where we left off from Trenches of Hell, and uh, so it's going to be definitely an exciting review today. Now, hopefully, you had a chance to listen to last week's episode in which we were joined by our very first special guest on the podcast, Michael, as he shared his interesting story of his 1981 Raiders experience, what that experience was like seeing this movie in theaters. And we talked about some of our favorite scenes, the advertising, and really, in its time, was kind of the first action-adventure movie like this to be seen in theaters. And so we talked about how this shaped filmmaking, uh, cinema history forever, the careers of Lucas and Spielberg, a little bit of hype into Indiana Jones 5, talked about Indiana Jones 4, and so much more. So we want to say thank you to Michael yet again for joining us on the podcast. And if you haven't checked out that episode, we highly recommend you do. And so uh, with that said, let's just get started, shall we? Yes, we shall. So... We start off with some beautiful music and tons of slides and images of the trenches, which kind of picks up of where we left off in Trenches of Hell, our last episode that we did a review on. Um, then we see, I mean, obviously it's beautiful music. We will be doing a soundtrack review on some of this next week, so stay tuned. Um, and then we see this motorcycle messenger go to the big grand hall where... Um, right, kind of like the headquarters. Yes, the headquarters kind of of the Belgian army, right? Or right. the French army. Right. And... Um, you know, he goes in and he joins, uh, some of his fellow officers and the general who's going to explain their attack plan. And this general, he's, he's very serious, but in a way he's kind of funny because he has a, he, he has a very bushy mustache right? and he has a very thick accent. Now, yeah. I don't know if the actor is actually from, is he Scottish accent or a German accent? I don't I can't know. tell. But I don't know if he's from that place or he just is doing an amazing job of portraying that accent right. because so much so that I part of what he was saying I could not even understand. Right, and we talked about the authenticity of this last time. And what's really, really interesting is just the fact that we have these uniforms, right? And I, I wanted to bring up the uniforms because they look just like something of its time. Oh, yeah. And we, we started seeing this in Trenches of Hell, obviously, uh, war is a big part of history, so to be able to recreate that on screen and show these different perspectives I think is very important, and we see that as we go through the locations, these trenches scenes, 
is very similar to what we saw in Trenches of Hell. Right. So to pick up where we left off, showing this continuation that the war went on for so long, right? And then, like you said, they're in that room. And the first thing that you notice when you watch this is that the tensions and opinions are different. Yeah. They're very different, which is interesting. And it really, and they go to uh, this interesting area in which they have almost like, it's kind of like this Risk board game set up here. Yeah, which... Right? Which is actually really cool in which they're actually showing where all, you know, figures are going and where they want to attack. And there's lo- and each of them kind of have different opinions on what to do, right? And we haven't even seen Indy yet, which, keep in mind, and I'll bring this up as we continue on here, but we haven't even seen Indy yet. And they talk about how they're going to use their next attack plan. What is next? The Germans have been on top of them now with, you know, this all of this advanced machinery and technology and stuff. And right. they start... Machine guns, cannons, exactly. you know, pretty much anything all this you kind of stuff. Of, they don't have it. Right. So you're, you know, kind of fighting... It's kind of like bringing a knife to a gunfight or something like right, that. Right, exactly. You know? It's Which, your underarm, basically. Exactly. And, that, and then they talk about, all right, so they finally decide that they do want to have an attack plan here. And all of a sudden now... They have Belgian couriers who are now the motorcycle messengers and delivering all this information. And so they need someone to do the orders and tell others of the attack plan, right? And right as he leaves, we see these two generals have a huge disagreement. And this is a reoccurring thing over the course of the episode, which is interesting. Yeah, they disagree multiple times until uh, it gets to the point where basically one of the generals basically goes behind the other general's back or right right in front of him and basically cancels what he did. Exactly. And what's interesting, too, as well, is the fact that they show how they need to make split-second decisions, right? Right. And they need to change all this sort of, you know, right on the spot. They need to make all these split-second decisions. Right. So... One millisecond could be, you know, right. a matter of life or death for exactly. these soldiers. I mean, and so then the we Germans go out. are very, you know, they're heavily armed, much more exactly. than the Germans. And they're are. much more advanced as yeah. well. And then we see Indy tossing a ball against the wall, right? Yes. And, and they say, you know, we need we, we need a messenger. And Indy, we see him in a new outfit, by the way. Very different from what yes. we saw last time. Uh, I love that picture of him. The close-up of him there with his uniform there. He's uh, kind of wearing like a black leather coat. It's, it's very, very interesting. I love what they did in terms of the costume design for this. Very I mean, authentic. Yeah, and it's kind of like a, it's a motorcycle outfit, I guess you could say. Yeah. And so then, uh, the Indy basically, the, what's funny is actually, I wanted to bring this up. The guy who says, you know, we need a, we need a messenger. Um, he's like, what about this Belgian over here? And he's like, he rides like the wind. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was hilarious. And so then they give it to Indy and great soundtrack. One of my favorite tracks, Race to the Front, as Indy hops on the motorcycle and drives right off just about seven minutes in, starts riding into all these landscapes and the countryside and all these kinds of things. And we see him kind of deliver this message as he's on the motorcycle. And I love the panoramic shots that we're seeing here. Yeah, you'll see Race to the Front reoccur many a times throughout right. this episode. And, you know, I it's personally one of my favorite songs, especially from this episode. And I, Exactly. Well, as I was watching the episode, for some reason I couldn't put my name on the finger. Or my finger on the <laughs> name! Um, yeah, but, you know, it's it's really action-packed and it really symbolizes the action of Indy right, Ryan. Like, exactly. It's very urgent message, right? Exactly. So, you know, Indy is riding on the motorcycle going to um, going to deliver the message that they're attacking Fort Dumno, I think it's pronounced. I can't... I'm not sure. I, but what was actually interesting that I thought about is, think about this. Indy is crucial to these war plans. Right. He is a crucial part. This is a show about historical fiction. And, I, I don't know, to me, 
this episode really kind of made me realize that this was historical fiction. Something about this episode gave me that sort of sense of historical fiction because there were so many points to me in this episode in which we see Indy literally affecting the events that actually happened in history. And to see a character like Indiana Jones actually be changing these events is very interesting. And, and, right. and, it was, and, it what's, and it's what's getting me excited on the show. Right. I mean, it's very interesting seeing Indiana Jones, you know, our character that we've seen in all our beloved movies. Right. You know, changing the course of World War One. Right? right, exactly. I exactly. mean, <laughs> and something, as you were saying, he's very crucial. Like, even though he's doing the most simplest job of just riding a motorcycle from point A to point B and right. giving... You know, uh, the major or the, whoever the note, because I mean, exactly. he's, he's a very low ranked corporal, so right. he's not uh, very important, right. <laughs> shall we say. <laughs> and but, what's interesting, too, is we also, as he's driving off, we see this blurred sign and they zoom into it and it says Verdun on it. Right, it says and, Verdun, 12 miles or exactly, whatever. Or, right, and what's interesting is, too, is then he goes into the trenches. And I don't know if I brought this up when I was talking about Trenches of Hell, but uh, at the date of this recording, a new movie has come out called 1917. It's nominated for a bunch of awards. Uh, director is Sam Mendes. And I actually, the funny thing is, I was just about to record The Trenches of... Actually, yeah, I went to see this movie in theaters. And literally right after, I went home to do the prep for the podcast episode that <laughs> night. And so I saw 1917 right before I rewatched Trenches of Hell. And I've seen the show before, obviously. And so I go into the movie theater. It was very interesting. Everyone was really hyping this movie. I'm like, okay, we've seen so many war movies by now. How can this be good? The cinematography of it, it was supposedly supposed to be made like it was in one shot. And so I've had this sort of preconception of history. I've seen what I've seen in India. I said, you know what? This is going to be very interesting. All of it was basically shot from the perspective of just two ordinary soldiers. We never really saw... I mean, we did see some generals at some point, but it was these two soldiers... Basically, their lives in a day. Here in Indy, we see more of the Belgian army and Indy's perspective of the Belgian army. Here, we actually saw two soldiers, and they had all these scenes in the trenches. So much action in there. There was so much drama, so much sadness. It was just a phenomenal movie. If you are someone who likes Trenches of Hell, if you like this concept of World War I, you have got to see this movie. It just came out a few weeks ago from the date of this recording. 1917. Phenomenal movie. And what I noticed is this scene in which Indy actually comes down. He comes down the steps into the trenches. Looked exactly like the scene that they shot in 1917. At the beginning when they actually go down diagonally into the trenches. And so what I always just thought was interesting is the authenticity. These look like real authentic bunkers, right? Right. They go down, there's these old lanterns, you've got books scattered everywhere on the desks, all these kinds of things. They've got these old phones, which are really cool. India's still a corporal, right? And we kind of get this idea that the warfare is horrible, right? I mean, we right. see these generals, right? They give them the telegraph from Major Gaston, and... He's, he's basically like, you've got to get there before the artillery arrives. Right. You know, he says that. He tries to call someone else, right? After he sees the message, he's like, God damn it. And, you know, is ringing his phone up so he can call someone to try and tell them without Indy having to go over, you know, by himself. But the phone line is down in the trenches because that happened very often in World War One. Exactly. I mean, the Germans or the French or something would cut it or whatever. Right. So Indy's like... So the uh, Major's like, you got to get over there before we right. stop shooting, and they start, like, destroying us. Right, exactly. And, you know, he does, but 
it's very interesting because, again, Indy is that crucial part. Just because he's a corporal doesn't mean he's not important. He's that crucial part. Without them, the World War One would have been a very easy victory for the Germans. Exactly. And Major Gaston is just on the other side of the trenches, so Indy quickly gets there in no time. Right. And what's interesting is right after he hands him it, hands him the, the message in the telegraph, he immediately blows the whistle. Right. He blows the whistle, they dash off, and it symbolizes this hustle and anticipation. Right. Right? Of the war. And, you know, immediately he gets a telegraph that Indy, you know, he, he Indy was there, you know, only minutes ago, right? Back at the headquarters, he gives him it, he looks at it, blows the whistle. The attack is on. Right. And Indy That's is caught he, in the middle of that. Right. He's like, Which is very uh, interesting, by the way. Right. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because this guy gives him, he's like, here's my address, here's my wife. Give this to her. Exactly. And it's almost like he knows that this battle, something about this battle could go the other way. Right. And something I, f I found very interesting, especially about the scene, he's looking out of this, you know, binoculars to look out on the right. field to the guy who gave him that because he's like, I, he's, he was about to say something before right. he ran out. And we see the guy get shot, right? Right. A m bunch of times. Now... There's a bit of bad acting here because he gets shot multiple times and it's kind of, it's, right. it's it, you can tell he's acting. One thing it's, I will say though is I did see the same sort of quality in terms of these trench warfare scenes and what we saw in trenches. Right, and yeah. What, the thing that I really took away here is in matter of minutes, this attack began and Indy was in charge of it. Oh yeah. He initiated this attack, although he didn't actually decide that the attack was happening happening right He's just from this one message you've got a complete change in the war and we see this trench warfare it's horrific right oh, it's, it's, it's unlike anything we've seen right it's it's horrible what happened to so many people and so many lives of these brave soldiers in world war one right. and we see that throughout the episode and what's interesting is we see the machine guns with the germans right and what i found interesting about this is indy we, we, I think we're about 10 minutes in at this point. The roles have reversed because Indy is watching through the binoculars just like we are. Right. Think about that. He's looking through the binoculars, seeing all this trench warfare. Us as an audience, we're sympathizing with Indy. We're seeing the same thing Indy is. Right. And from the point where Indy was just fighting in the trenches, just escaped from prison with Charles de Gaulle, now he is looking from the outside in. Right. He's observing everything that he's seeing, and as a messenger, he's just standing in the trenches looking. And I thought that was very interesting how we had a very different perspective in these first 15 minutes. And right. we do not see Indy in a deep conversation until, I kid you not, 17 minutes into this thing when he is with some of the other messengers and they're eating dinner and they have that whole discussion. Right. Until then, there is not a deep discussion with Indy. Right. Which I is mean, very interesting. We have not seen that ever in Young Indy. No, Indiana. I mean, usually two or three minutes in, he's already in a deep oh, conversation, Exactly, right? he's right into the episode. But, you know, in this case, you know, as you said, the, the perspective change, right. we're basically Indy in this case. Exactly. We're seeing what he is seeing. We're there on the battlefield looking out at, at all of this horrible warfare and the Germans, you know, just basically massacring everybody else because they're so inferior. Right. And, you know... One thing I liked about the quality, which you said, again, about the quality of trenches and this. Yeah. They show, after they retreat back to the trenches, they right. show a bunch of rats around a dead body. 
Yeah. Just that quality, just that little tiny piece. It does. It just shows how that horrible was also, it is. That was also very similar to a scene in 1917, the movie I was talking about, is that was similar to show not only what's actually happening, what's happening before, but the aftermath. Right. What is the result of all these sort of things? And that is very interesting, and we see that appearing in these episodes with all these horrific and terrifying events. I mean, you're frightened, right? This is World War One taking place right in front of your eyes. Right. And this dramatic music is happening while they retreat, while they attack, all these sort of things. And India's still there after countless experiences, right? right? He's had countless experiences in the war, and he's just standing there. And then the end comes, and India's still standing in the background. He's blurred out in the shot here. And one of the men comes up, and he says... 600 have been confirmed dead, sir. And Gaston, Major Gaston, is clearly upset. Yeah, very. And this is a scene in which he writes a telegraph, sends it to India, and Indy kind of leaves through one of these caves in the darkness in the trenches here. Yeah. And what was very interesting, too, is this was supposed to be an attack that was so successful, and it just goes the other way. Yeah, it, it goes, just goes the, the other way. complete opposite way. You know, and he's deli- he rides out, he delivers it to headquarters, he's like, right. you're dirty. Clean up and go down to dinner. Right. And then we see the scene of the general, all the generals and the very high-ranking, you know, officers. And what I really found interesting is the music here, especially. Yeah. It's it sounds like Mozart to me. It kind of does. They had live music there, and I like how they had that that authenticity. But it, it, no matter what type of music it was, when the uh, officer comes in and he's like, six hundred are dead. How much how much land have we gained? None. Music stops, falls dead silent. Right. He's like, I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Uh, no land. I'm sorry, I thought you said no land. I right. did, sir. And how many more will have to be killed for us to gain some land? Not apparently not enough. Right. Right. And that's what was so interesting is just to have this scene, first of all. Of the generals eating dinner. First of all, let's talk about this room for a second. Set de- set decorators in this show, I need to give them props on everything from the glasses to the forks to the knives to the small buttons on their uniforms. To the everything. glass chandeliers to right, everything. The authenticity of all this. I love it. it. It's literally like they went to an antique store and brought the entire thing back for the show. Probably did, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, it's really, really nice. And I mean, when we see them having dinner, they're all happy, they're all excited. The live music and the conversation, they're eating, you know, dinner, of course, and the telegraph from Sector 4 comes, like you said, and he almost expects to hear that they've gained control, right? Just the tone of his voice, you know? You know that he's expecting, like, oh, we definitely succeeded in this one. We definitely got it in this one. Like you said, the piano stops, looks at it, and he wants the general in his office at 6 a.m. and is very, very upset. And just that sort of kind of you know, the fact that he is so angry and upset about this. Right. I just mean, the change from what you saw previously is very, very interesting. And the in the old general who we saw before with the bushy mustache, he gets up and just leaves. Right. And just actually, leaves. that was interesting. He's like, he's like, we haven't, you know, he's like, General, you're leaving so soon. We haven't even had the main course. He says, I've had quite enough. Right. And this is the guy who was upset and disagreeing with the other major right. general at the beginning of the episode that we saw. And he's an indie... And then we kind of transition here to Indy as he's eating with the other soldiers. Right. And like I said, we're now at 17 minutes. This is his first main conversation. And now, like I said, we're still seeing this kind of new perspective from trenches, the outside looking in. And Indy then mentions that he d- can't figure out what this war is about. Now, before I get started, 
Um, I have obviously watched Young Indiana Jones the entire show before. Right. Um, so have I. This scene that we're about to see here is one of my favorite scenes in all of filmmaking. And I know there are many people who probably disagree with me. This is just more of a personal, opinionated response and argument that I'm making here. This scene in which he takes the food to describe World War I is one of my favorite scenes ever. And what I love about this, it's like two minutes, three minutes, not even. Right. What I love about this scene, first of all, is how creative it was. Props to George Lucas for coming up with this idea and whoever the writers were here. Props for them to coming up with this. Secondly, it's just an awesome scene. And I'm going to go through and explain this here for you. So, first of all, Indy mentions that he can't figure out what this war is about. And you'll notice they have this big pot of soup that's going around. Right. First of all, they're down low in this kind of bunker area, right? Right. And notice how dimly lit and dark it is in there. Right. It almost kind of seems like kind of grummy down there, you know what yeah. I mean? And they're eating this soup, right? And, what, and, you know, you have all these guys who have had, you know, a long day, right? Indy, you know, obviously was at the front today, and they ask him about it. You know, they've all been in the war for a long time. They're tired, you know, and you can kind of feel that, you know, sort of atmosphere, right? right? That in the entire thing. And then someone says, it's simple. Germans invaded Belgium, right? And then this one guy with the glasses is very knowledgeable about the war, and he takes the food to explain the war. And what's interesting is the soldiers claim that they don't even understand the war that they're even fighting in. Right. Right? And, again, this is one of my all-time favorite scenes, just in all filmmaking. And we talked about how this show was used as a teaching tool for kids. If you've got a world history class and you're explaining World War One, you have got to show this scene. They yeah. take food and literally explain how World War One started. Right, right, exactly. It's great, and it's so clever, right? So he grabs the bread. He's like, on the left, right. we have France. On the top here, we've got Russia. And, you and know, we've got uh, Germany, we've got Belgium, Great Britain. You know, the bear is Britain and all this sort of stuff. And then... He, what I love is he starts, he, this, this character's hilarious. Yes, and he's, he's hilarious. Yeah, he's hilarious. He kind and of reminds me of the doctor from Trenton. Right, Mel, right. You know? <laughs> right, and then what I love here is, the first thing he says is, well, Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated in Serbia, and he is the Archduke of Austria. Therefore, right, Austria declares war on Serbia. Now, before we even continue there, What's hilarious is <laughs> we've seen Archduke Franz Ferdinand right, before. Right, if you remember, Archduke Franz Ferdinand is from Chapter 3, Perils of Cupid, when Indy was only, I think, 10 years old at this point. And decides to ask him to marry his daughter. Right, remember, he goes to the castle, right? Right. And he is in love with Sophie at 10 years old, right? Right. He goes there, and Franz Ferdinand's like, uh, what are you doing in this castle? And he's like, I want to marry Sophie. Then... Flashback 16 years later, you remember I mentioned in the Perils of Cupid episode, I said, what if they ever created an episode where, obviously, World War I comes, unfortunately, Archduke Franz Ferdinand did pass away, right? And we see that here, right? He was assassinated, right? I was like, what if Indy at 16 years old was like, wait a second, Archduke Franz Ferdinand didn't allow me to marry his daughter. Now he's passed away. Forget about the war. I'm going back to, uh, you know, I'm going back to Austria. Let's go I'm married to Sophie, yeah, right? Screw this. I'm going to be married to Sophie, you know? Which is hilarious, like... right. So th that was just a huge flashback to, you know, I, I wish they would have done that. Yeah, that would have right. been hila and a then, hilarious second part. Unlike the Mahari part. Right. But, you know. And so we get to this second part here in which he starts describing the alliances in each country, right? Right. And so he's, you know, moves everything around and 
all the soldiers keep asking questions. So what about Germany? So what about Britain? And right. then he says, well, this alliance, this, 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 I'm not going to go through the whole thing. It's uh, history class by this point. Right. Um, but what's interesting, and I, you know what I love too? What? When he mentions that Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated in Serbia, he sprinkles the salt on the tomato and eats it. That's which hilarious. is hilarious. Which is, I love that. He's like, then, oh, well, I'm hungry, and so let right. me have a little snack in the middle of this conversation. Right. <laughs> and so he uses the sausage, the bread, and it was awesome. And then he says, and then he's like, you know, after this entire scene, which is just so creative, go back and watch it. Because it's such a creative and great scene. I, I know I might be obsessing with the scene, but there is something about it that I just really, really like. And then Indy says, so we're fighting to protect Serbia. A tiny country no one's ever heard of. That's what right. this war is all about, right? So it was kind of this whole idea that the underlying cause of World War One was really caused by Serbia, and which I thought was very, very interesting. And then we kind of span to when they're all in the bunkers going to bed, and Indy is actually right. narrating oh. and writing to Ned, Ned back from My First Adventure, which he did do in uh, pr the previous episode. But here we have more of a drawn-out letter. Right. I mean, he's writing. You know, he's writing this letter to his friend Ned, who he is. Uh, met back in My First Adventure and has been mentioned plenty of times throughout many right. episodes, you know. And, you know, what I find very interesting is it's, it goes so in-depth and we we pan over all these sleeping soldiers in this really cold and dark, yeah. you know, bunker area. And then we pan over to Indy and he's writing it and we just still hear him narrating it. And actually, the quote you heard today is from... Right, uh, from part, that excerpt. the beginning part of the letter that he's writing to Ned, exactly. right? And it's, you know, very sad. And, you know, we never actually see him, him mail it, so we don't know if Ned gets it. But right. it kind of leads perfectly into our next scene, right. which is where he's at the infirmary. Now, one thing I wanted to bring up about this journal here, first of all, one thing I wanted to mention about the Indie Journal is I mentioned that there was an Indie Journal that you could get that is a replica of Indiana Jones's journal. We see it in Last Crusade when he has all the diary notes, right? right? We see it here in Young Indy, obviously. My first adventure, his dad gives him the journal, right? We've seen that. Now, if you go on Etsy, there is actually a handmade replica of this journal, and it's 50 bucks. It's a little bit expensive, but I decided, you know what? What the heck? And I looked at the pictures that were on Etsy, which, by the way, is a vintage online site, for those of you who might not know, and I compared it with the actual one seen in the show. I took a screenshot of it, compared it to the photo. It looked identical. So I clicked order immediately, bought this thing, 50 bucks free shipping, handmade leather, a real old leather journal, exact same measurements as the one in Young Indy. I got it in the mail a week later and was blown away. Guys, this journal is absolutely incredible. It looks just like it. It's an exact replica. It literally is an authentic, it's an authentic journal. Now, this is different than the actual Indie Journal. The actual Indie Journal is just a fake replica made in 2008 after Crystal Skull was released right. that has all of his quote-unquote notes that he's taken through the movies, right? This is just a handmade replica that has, you know, 200 blank pages you can write in. But you see the journal that he's writing on to write to Ned... That journal has been made by someone in Etsy, and they're selling it, and it's authentic. I actually wrote a review on it, so if you look, Will, in January of 2020, wrote a review on there, and it is great. If you want, if you're interested in memorabilia and collectibles, I highly recommend you go and get this handmade journal that looks exactly like it. Now, in terms of the journal that 
is fake and has all the notes. I have not bought that one, but I'm curious to buy that one. And the reason I like that I they... wonder what the difference will be now that I think about it. I wonder if the one after Crystal Skull will be as crappy as the movie was. But, you know... <laughs> well, that one is more of looking... Is more of kind of a fan interactive experience and all the notes that they've taken throughout the movies and the show mm -hmm. is in there. Right, so it's more of... It's more of the content and less of actually the nice notebook itself. Right, the one that you have. You could create your own indie adventure. Exactly, right? literally, funny literally. Part about it, you and know? what I wanted to mention the about these journals... Continues. Right, what I want to mention about these journals is... It almost gives the journal purpose to include all of these stories from Ned and have Indy write them down. It includes kind of this idea of purpose of the journal, and I really, really like that. So continuing on now, Indy starts to visit this hospital, and we see kind of how horrific and gruesome it is, and we have this piano theme playing that you heard earlier in the episode, right. or at the beginning of the episode today, and he Something actually meets up with Remy, who... We haven't seen right. in the entire last part of Trenches of Hell and the entire part of my first, of, or sorry, of uh, Demons of Deception here. Right, I was going to mention. And immediately we, we see Remy, right. Right, we haven't seen him for, what, you know, a few days in this case, you know. He, he you know, was, when we right. transferred to the camp, he's like, Remy, but he doesn't see that guy as we saw back in Trenches of Hell. But in this case, you know, we see that he, you know, he all of a sudden is like, oh, you're in the infirmary, you know, you're, because he, he suspects, he hasn't seen Remy anywhere else, he's back with the Belgian army, right? Exactly. He's gotta be here, you know, and right. he meets up with Remy, so. Which is interesting, because remember, he was gone for so long, and they got separated in trenches. Right. And all of a sudden, we see him in hospital bed, it's almost like, it's very kind of mysterious and suspenseful, right? All of a sudden, you know, it's, it's, we kind of feel for Indy, right? Right. He lost his friend who we met in Mexico, right, this whole time, and now he shows up. And we, what's interesting, too, is we see Indy, and he's perfectly fine throughout all this, right? Right. He's been perfectly fine through all of these this war situation, right? And to see Remy now kind of injured and look at the other side of the war here, right? That this actually is so horrific and gruesome and things will happen to you. It almost kind of gives the audience that perspective of realism, right? That this is real. This is happening. And to have that happen to a character like Remy, I think was very important right. to happen. I don't remember exactly what happened to him and why he's in right. the infirmary, but you know. But it was very powerful to see Indy come back and see Remy, who we haven't seen. Right. You know, we haven't seen him at all. And he's kind of like, Oh, I'm going to go th be there for my friend, you know? Like, right, if you were exactly. in the hospital, I'd come and visit you or whatever. Right. Same and thing here. When they get injured, when they split up, you know, Remy doesn't mentions that he doesn't want to go back to the trenches. And he actually has the doctors come over and, and whatever, you know, accidentally got in him when he got injured. He says, you know, it's still not out. It's still not out. And he's like, are you telling the truth? And he's like, I don't want to go back to the trenches. And think about that. You're talking about someone who fought with Pancho Villa's Mexican Revolution who enlisted in the Belgian army, convinced, convinced Indy <laughs> to, to fight in the Belgian army, and doesn't want to go to the trenches. The thing that's interesting about that is that shows you the different perspectives of the war. I mentioned this when I opened the episode today. Indy learns about the different perspectives and the hardships of war. And we see that here. When Remy says he doesn't want to be in the trenches, and he's like, it's your duty, right? Right. But there was so much sympathy. I mean, these were people who were fighting for your country, and yet they, too, at times, did not want to fight. Very interesting point. Very, very powerful scene that I think you really had to include there. The fact that not only did Indy just meet up with Remy, like, oh, here, you're back with the Belgian army, right? Great. Steam is a deception. New episode. Right. It was a continuation 
of the kind of danger and horrific scenes that we saw in Trenches of Hell, and to continue that and not see Remy till like 20 minutes in, very important. Very important indeed. I mean, you know, Remy is a very major character in Young By now, Movie. yeah. By now, I mean, he. even though we've only seen him in, what, two and a half episodes right. or so? He's still a very important character. I mean, we see him, I think it's twice or three times throughout this entire right. episode. We don't see him very often. We just see him on the train, yeah. in the trenches, and, you know, with Indy in the exactly. infirmary here. And Indy tries to convince Remy to join the war, and, you know, he kind of like, hang in there, man. You know, this yeah. is going to get better. And one thing I wanted to mention as we uh, move on to the next scene, you'll notice when he zooms out, this hospital or infirmary is actually not in a hospital building. It's in a church. Right. Which is very interesting symbolism, especially when you talk about religious symbolism in movies and stuff like that. Very, very interesting religious symbolism, talking about the hardships and the death of the war to be, to have all of these, you know, soldiers in the church healing. Very, very interesting and powerful symbolism. So very yes. powerful episode. Um, and then we transition us to Indy sends another message. And this time... Yeah. There's a German plane in the area he's following him. He's getting chased very low by a plane and getting shot at, basically. He's, right, which is interesting because when you notice, he looks up at it. It takes him a second to realize it's a German plane. Right, he's like, oh, it's a French plane. No, it's a German plane. And they right. start shooting and they start, he starts going, swerving, dodging, you know. Right. It's a very action-packed scene and we hear that, we hear that reoccurring main theme that we've heard, you know, right. in before. The, in the episode so far, too. Right, because, you know, here we have... Indy trying to escape this plane, you know, that is shooting at him. And this right. fight really goes on for, like, a solid three minutes. Like Right. It goes on for a while. dodging and doing all this stuff. Now, and eventually, Indy is, you know, he he's blown kind of into this crater here. And, you know, then it kind of ends there, but not exactly. Right. Now, one thing I wanted to mention about this whole battle scene here that I wanted to bring up that I thought was very, very interesting is, think about this. Indy is just delivering a message, right? It's just a good old day. He's going through the countryside right. delivering a message. It's just another old day at the office. Yet. Exactly. Yet you have a German plane literally about to kill him. Right. Think about how suspenseful and how tragic that is, right? Right. Like you have a German plane that comes out of nowhere, and you're talking about a German plane that literally is shooting after one Belgian soldier. That's how serious this war is and right? how important it also shows how important indy is to the right, war, right? exactly he there she's shooting after that one belgian soldier and i thought that that was very interesting to see that now one thing i wanted to mention is as indy's trying to outrun him i actually looked closely and there was a shot where i was like wait a second is that indy i think there was a stunt double who subbed in for indy in this episode because i noticed that i don't think indy was actually in some of the shots yeah, I noticed I, that. If you notice, like, yeah, in some of the action shots, I think there was a stunt double that subbed in for him. Right. I mean, it's it's not very easy to notice because again, he's basically wearing a mask. He's wearing right. He's wearing goggles. Exactly. And and, but you know, I look. I also noticed that I I just blew it off as oh, it's oh, in yeah. me in a weird angle. But no, right. I think you're right. Now that I think about it, exactly. I think there and, is a stunt double, like especially when he's blown into that crater right, right there, you yeah. know? And what was interesting, too, is this, to me, was interesting for a chase scene. We think about chase scenes that we've seen in Raiders, Last Crusade, Temple of Doom, all that. Right. It was very interesting to see that. And also, too, think about this. There was also that point in which the plane dropped the grenade on the house. Right. You remember he dropped the grenade on the house? And that, that was very, very suspenseful because then Indy decides to fall into the ditch as the plane leaves to make him think that he actually died and, and right. he actually got him. Right, but he doesn't. The plane 
Yeah. You know, the plane kind of leaves, but not really. He, he's kind of just circling. And then as the plane gets distracted, and he zooms out of there. Right. And he goes to this site where there's a few cannons, and it's kind of like... It's not like a big warfare site, but it's right. just kind of this mini site off to the side that's kind of yeah. like just attacking this tiny little German sub house or town, you know? Yeah. And one thing I noticed, there's a huge cannon here. Right. Which, now, what's interesting as well here is Indy continues with the message, stops here, and sees and learns about these new guns. And they you know start thinking about guns? Right, right. He starts showing them all this new advanced technology, right? We always think of the Germans having machine guns. Meanwhile, the French have a little bit of extra magic, you know, back here with all these new kinds of different technologies. Right. With this cannon that takes a hundred men to load right. a two-ton cannonball. Right, <laughs> it's crazy. And so then he talks about their newest cannon. And he shows them the newest cannon, which actually, speaking of stunt doubles, if you look closely, I don't know why I noticed this in this episode over others, but I noticed actually where we mentioned this when we talked about our filming locations episode, mm -hmm. how some matte paintings actually substituted some things that they could not shoot. For whatever reason, I noticed two to three matte paintings in this episode. And I don't know if it's just because for whatever reason I was more attentive about it this time, or actually this one used more matte paintings than the other episodes we've seen. But this tank, you look closely, you stop, pause the video. Um, that is actually an, That is actually a matte painting. And you notice because the trees and the crates and barrels that are off to the side is very faint. So actually, you have this right section of Indy, uh, one of the officers there, and then some other men off to the side. Then they cut that off and put half of a matte painting on the other side to depict the gun that they were showing him. But they did not have that. Which is interesting because we did see some of the guns just previously before that, right. but this huge one was an actual matte painting. Right, that's very interesting. I did not notice that. And I, just... and, and, and I noticed that too at the end of the episode when uh, India is actually leaving, and I'll bring this up when we get to that point, but then he starts talking about the big Bertha, this new advanced German artillery gun. Right, which is what we'll see uh, very soon as right. India is sent to spy on the Germans. You know, right. They order two of those things, and... Once he reports that back, they're like, oh, good lord. Right, because, because they know it's basically bigger than this huge cannon we've already seen. And it's going to wipe out everyone. I mean, this is, we're talking about a deadly, possibly, you know, catastrophic event if right. this big Bertha gets in the hands of the Germans. Yeah, it's basically like the flamethrower times 10. Kind I of know, thing. it's crazy. And then they have this new message. And so Indy goes back to headquarters. And he goes back to headquarters only to find that all uh, the motorcycle couriers have been lined up. Right. In the bunker when Indy returns. And Indy's like, what is going on here? And these are the same guys that we saw from earlier. And he asks them, do you speak German? And the first time he asks, no one responds. The second time he asks, and he says, again. I speak German, sir. Right. And so then... He's like, be in my office in two hours. Right. And then so he goes, and then one of the guys stops him. And he says, what on earth are you thinking? And he's like, what are you talking about? Why did you tell him that you speak German? He's like... Because I can, and because he asked me. And he's like, you have a lot to learn here, Corporal Defonce. And Just we're not sure what that means. And then we transfer to the office, and we see Indy gets this special, yet very dangerous assignment. Right, to go spy on the Germans. And he's he's like, you sure you want to do this? And he's like, yes. What is my assignment? Right, he says yes before he even knows what the assignment is. Right? And I'm sure he probably regrets it once he hears yes. it, but he's like... You have to go spy on the Germans, Defense. Right. One more thing. 
Germans don't take spies alive. Right. Meaning, if Indy's caught, he's dead. Now, consider the setting the scene here. He has to crawl over no man's land at night as a spy to the Germans. Right. This is a guy who was sending telegraphs and messages, and and now all of a sudden... Two hours later... He's he's out of the trenches in no man's land. Right. And if he even stands up an inch, shot dead. Right. It's literally a matter of life or death. India is literally... Everyone is relying on India right now right. In, in the French and Belgian army. And talk about how roles change. Special assignments like this were given out all the time because, you know, things happen just any right. old time. And nobody and, wants to do them either. Right. And India's going to have to be prepared for it. So... Uh, the, he basically goes on this nocturnal mission, you could say. That's what the name of the track is. What the name of the track is, yeah. And then we see actually that basically these plans of the Big Bertha and learning what these guns can do is in the hands of Indy. Right. right? And he crawls in the trenches, and actually we see this light go up in the sky, right? We mm-hmm. see this little cracker thing. And Indy finds an injured soldier on the way. You know, the, the soldier grabs Indy. Right. He's like, help me, I'm injured, I'm injured. Right, and he's like, how long have you been out here? Two days. Like, it's insane, right? It's right, this crazy. guy's injured and he couldn't walk and he's just been sitting here waiting for someone to help him. Right. But meanwhile, Indy has to continue on and he said he'll come back for him later. Right, he says he'll come back for him later, which, you know, and then we see Indy go on and he he's crouched down there listening to them talk about the Big Bertha. And then we go down to a shot where they are inside the tavern. Right, right? and we actually see some subtitles of the German that they're speaking. Right, because, you know, I don't speak German, do you? Right, no. <laughs> yeah, you know, but then we hear... Right. And it's, he's like... And we don't even... We see Indy yawn right before, but we don't know he's... The way I like to put this is Indy's passed out on the job. Right! right. <laughs> he's you passed know, out on the job, basically. Drunk out in the back, you know? Right, I mean, he's, he's passed out on the he's job. Like, and he's like... General, go find out what that noise is, right? Right, and what's interesting, too, is... Talk about the Germans, right? Mm-hmm. What I found very interesting is you'll notice when Indy goes up to the crack of this, like, overhead thing in the trenches... Right. You, we see this very cool shot. Gotta give credit to the cinematographers for shooting this, which I thought was crucial in terms of getting us that suspense feel. Right before he goes up uh, and sleeps on the job, <laughs> <laughs> he's crawling... We see this huge thing of barbed wire that he just cut through. Right. And all of the German soldiers lined up in the trenches. Facing in, him. Right. In so the, I'm like, uh, what Indy I was... is six, basically like almost ten feet away. Six, ten feet away from the trench, just crawling up to the officer's spot there. And the fact that they didn't see them only builds that suspense. Right. I'm, I was thinking... How the heck did they not see them? Like it's crazy. It's kind of obvious. You can see him obviously right. crawling through. But, but they were they were looking down. They weren't focused on him. But they to were, your point, that's the kind of danger that this mission entailed. Right. Like and, and what he's that, like not even a foot away from German soldiers who could shoot him in an instant. And speaking right? of that, you talk about we talked about this last week in our nineteen eighty one Raiders experience. One of the things that I think people really like from Raiders is the action. You know, our, our special guest Michael brought this up. How the action was the selling point of the movie. Right. Another selling point of the movie that I th- we forgot to bring up is the suspense aspect. Talk yeah. about that opening scene in Raiders, right? He switches the sandbag with the idol, right? I've seen a lot of suspense from Sean Patrick Flannery in the role and even a little bit of Corey Carrier in the beginning yes. when he plays Indy, which is very interesting. And what I really liked about that is the fact that we get this 
idea of suspense. We don't always have the high fast pace action, right? At least not yet. But we still have that idea of suspense, and it only brings to this kind of overall feel and tone of the scene that, you know, when we lead into this next section here, it gets very intense. Right. I mean, it gets very intense as he's... As he throws the grenade because they, you know, he they right. find him. Actually, there's the, there's the soldier who comes up above, and Indy made the doesn't mistake. even know that he's there. He right. made the mistake of obviously sleeping, and so he hears, "We've got two big Berthas, and we're sending them out tomorrow." And then he's like, "That's it." And then he makes just a small noise, and the German soldier notices he's there, punches him, takes the grenades, throw it over. And basically runs for his life right. back to the French trenches. Right. He thought he was just going to blow up a small tavern. Oh no, he accidentally threw it into the dynamite room where they were right. storing all the explosives. So it's this huge explosion, kind of like a mini atomic bomb, you know? Right. And it's, you know, Indy is almost shot running back as he's... Which is interesting because you'd think, you know, he throws the grenade, right? It blows Yet up. Germans immediately are shooting machine gun fire at him. This is, you're talking about Indy running over barbed wire running over, uh, you know, all these sort of different barricades and things like that. You know, there's bodies right. all over the trenches. He, it's pitch black at right. night. There's a soldier who's still running after him. Then, you know, he grabs a knife and he kills the soldier as he comes down in that pit there. Right. He well, runs he back actually, up. He actually doesn't notice the German soldier yet. He right. dives down and he's like, are you okay? And this guy goes, boom. Right, boom, and right And slaps in. him. And he's like, Arr! and they fight for a while and then he stabs him. Right, and then you talk about Talk about suspense. Then you've got German machine guns already shooting at him, you know, as he jumps up and as they hit the dirt on his feet, and he jumps, and then he gets to the trench, and the guys just pull him right in. Right, they pull him right and in. that, to me, one of these scenes, you know, we've had kind of a slow movie so far. Yeah, slow This movie. turns up the action to 100%. No, and it's basically like this until the second half of the episode. You exactly, know, which is 100% really, really action, very on the edge of your seat, and, and suspense. Right, and then we kind of transition into which he starts telling... All of the officers what happened. Right. He tells all the officers what happened, and they're like, oh, no, 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 no. Right. And they give him the message to go bring back to headquarters, right? And talk about changing events. This is when he goes to headquarters and actually tells them about the Big Berthas. And actually, this time, we see the same generals, and all, the guy with the big mustache and the other guy, and then we see uh, Corporal de France, obviously. And what was interesting is... Now Indy is in the same room with the same people we've been seeing the entire episode. Right. Which is very interesting. Which we haven't seen before. We've just seen the majors transferring to, you know, the generals and the, then to right. the officers and, this, and then to Indy. Exactly. And this goes Indy. back to this idea of historical fiction, how Indy is really changing these events and things are really changing rapidly. And Indy explains what he heard. Right. And it's almost like, you know, the, the generals we notice are very stubborn. Right. right. We notice they're very stubborn. There's a lot of disagreement, right? And they order an attack. Yes. And, of course, disagreement yet again. They're like, what on earth are you doing? Right. They're like, what on earth are you doing? And he's like, if you have a problem with it, change it yourself. He does it. He changes. He calls off the attack. Yep. And lucky for him, that was a good thing because Remy was there. Right. He As was... we see Remy, he's actually going to the front. Right. He's going to the front. And he's like... Hey, Remy, you know, he's meeting up with him, and he's like, hello, Indy. You know, Remy's not in a good mood, mainly right. because he's about to go off to the front and go back into the trenches, which, as we saw earlier, he definitely does not want to do. He doesn't want to go back out into the front, right? right? I mean, he was afraid of it. He's like, Indy, I don't want to do this. And again, Remy convinced 
Indy to sign up for the Belgian army. Now right. it's the rules are reversed. Exactly. Indy is convincing Remy to go and fight in the Belgian army. Exactly. You know? And what, they actually look at these pictures, too, when Indy goes back. And this is when they kind of decide, you know what, we should cancel the attack. And the other man is like, you know what, do it yourself, like you said. This is a matter of life and death, right? And mm -hmm. the message is sent to the front, but the and then the, the general and the chief comes in, and he says, so, what's the attack looking like? And they're like, I called it off. And he's like, general, how did you agree to do this? And he's like, I did. And he's like, he's upset. He grabs the phone. And he calls down to the trenches, right, where one of the guys is over the telephone. He says, call you to resume the attack. And he says, I've got an order right here that says to call it off. I can't do that without another written order, you know, uh, reversing this, you know. Uh, vetoing this other Right, vetoing one. this attack that you have already, which is interesting because it shows you how much of a role. We talked about Indy as a motorcycle messenger here. How much of an important role he played right. in terms of. Getting these messages to everyone else. And also how high security it is, right? Right, exactly. You know, because even though it's the chief over the phone, it could be someone impersonating the chief or whatever, or holding the chief right. at gunpoint. Like, you need something in written to get something done. Like, it's kind of yeah. like Congress or the government, right? You need, mm -hmm. in order to, you know, pass a law, you need a bill and sign yeah. by everybody, you know? Exactly. And this is when they say, you know what? I'll write an issue in order myself. So... First they had the attack, then it was called off, then the general-in-chief rewrites the uh, message to call out another attack. Indy now races to give the order back on the bike, and we have this very interesting choral music that plays as we actually see these chess scenes. And, chess in the rain. I just... Right, which was interesting. And we also see the line of the French soldiers mixed with the chess scenes right. as they are lined up in the rain. And I don't know if you noticed this, but I paused the chess scene for a minute. If you notice, it's the white is supposed to be the German and the black is supposed to be the French. Interesting. Interesting. There were two chessboards and two scenes. The first one was the French and the the black was kind of winning. The second ah, one, basically all the black very pieces were gone. Interesting. So it was kind of a foreshadowing as to what is going to happen. Very interesting kind of symbolism there. We, there's lots yes. of symbolism in this episode as we talked about how Demons of Deception kind of ha hints to some themes as well. Very glad that you pointed that out. I did not catch that, that the chess did kind of represent that idea of the Germans and the French and their kind of battle there. And this is when we see the soldiers ready in the front. And India actually has a lot of flashbacks during this scene. He has a flashback to the guy who, the guy with the wife who gave him, like, give this to my wife, yep. right? And, you know, what, you know, as he's on his motorcycle on the way back, he's like, screw it. Right. And he takes a piece of paper yep. and basically torches his bike, lights it on fire, blows it up, right? Mm -hmm. And I found that very interesting. Kind of shows you how dedicated Indy is to the war, but not just to the war, to people in the war. He's more dedicated to the people in the war than the actual war as a whole itself, you know? You know, I just, I couldn't understand why, but it's just so interesting how he does that, you know? He's... Very dedicated, I guess you could say. You talk about the war being a violent and horrific event to show that Indy still has this humanity left in him. Right. And that he says, you know what? I am a messenger right now. This order of attack was written by someone else, was written by a superior. I am laying this out. I was the one who, first of all, found out about the Big Berthas. I'm not going to let this attack happen. I'm not going to let thousands of people die just because one person thinks he is arrogant enough and stubborn enough to think that we are going to win this attack. Right. And he 
cleverly puts it in, like you said, lights it on fire to the point where it kind of leaves no trace, and there's no way that they would have known it was him. And as he walks off, this is the other matte painting I was talking about. This is a matte painting as he walks off into the village. And we transfer to Indy back in the trenches as Indy is no longer a motorcycle messenger. No, he is. But they did not figure out that it was him. And Remy's like, how on earth could you have done that? You would have ended up in front of a firing squad. Right. right? Like the amount of danger that that did. But Indy said, you know what? I'm going to challenge other people's opinions. I'm going to take the risk of being shot down by a firing right. squad. And I'm going to save this order for humanity. Another powerful scene in a very interesting episode. And Indy is skeptical that, you know, that he could have been shot. And so as they're down in the trenches, you know, Indy's like, oh, if only we were in Paris, right? And that kind of transitions into the transition for the episode in which Indy's uh, father, uh, his friend actually, uh, was able to, has been kind of involved in the war. Right. Was able to kind of make some connections for them to actually get a two-week leave. And in we talked about how the leave in Trenches of Hell is interesting because you're fighting in the trenches. Two minutes later, well, not two minutes, but, you know, two seconds later, right, you could literally be on leave back in civilization. And for a lot of people, as much as they were enjoying that, it was hard. Yeah. You're seeing the most horrific thing that has ever happened in history, and all of a sudden, boom, you're in Paris, one of the best cities in the world. Right. And so we see them on the trade, and Remy and Indy are happy as can be living the time of their lives, right, as they now get to Paris... And we transition from this horrific thing in the trenches now to Paris. And so we get to Paris, and Remy and Indy are obviously very excited. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously, Indy clearly is madly in love with, you know, uh, France by this point. Yes. And, uh, if we uh, remember a flashback to, um, you know, Perils of Cupid, where his right. mother hooked up with Bocchini. Right, exactly. But <laughs> right. And so, what's interesting. And so remember, we saw them in Paris in Chapter 2, Passion for right. Life, with Picasso. And actually, there's a small reference at the end to that that I'm going to bring up when we get to that section. And what's interesting here now is Indy clearly, obviously, is interested in being in Paris and, you know, obviously... Trying to find a woman. <laughs> right. And what's hilarious is Remy says a hilarious quote, and he's like, oh, you know... There's so many women here. How am I going to decide? And <laughs> Remy says the most sarcastic quote. He says, he says, uh, what does he say? Oh, take it easy, Romeo. We've got two whole weeks here. <laughs> take Romeo. it easy, Romeo. Oh, that was hilarious. Oh, and speaking of, <laughs> and speaking of uh, Paris, so many authentic cars and buildings is actually something I noticed that we notice in these, that European flavor, right? Right. And so, Indy is dropped off at the house, and he's going to see Remy tomorrow, right? And uh, here, th the friend of Indy is played by actor Ian McDiarmid. Now, for those of us who noticed the credits at the beginning of this episode, and for those of us who are avid Star Wars fans like myself, Ian McDiarmid obviously played Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars, and he had a small role as Indy's friend. So, first thing I wanted to mention, bring up about this... Ian McDiarmid is playing, obviously, a very friendly person, right? We obviously know him for Emperor Palpatine being greedy. So, first of all, that was just hilarious to see yes. him in that role. Secondly, guess who wrote the second half of this episode? None other than Carrie Fisher. And I said to myself, wait a second. We're talking about Carrie Fisher, the actress from Star Wars? I looked this up, guys. Really? It is true. Carrie Fisher, who played Princess Leia, wrote an episode of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. That's interesting. It was her. Now, a few things that are interesting. First of all, we obviously know that she has a very good relationship with George Lucas, right? right? They've obviously worked together in plenty of movies. 
1983 was when Princess Leia, Carrie Fisher, was in Return of the Jedi. Right. Made her first Young, appearance, right. right? Young Indiana Jones comes out in 92, 93. So 10 years later, she still had a pretty prominent actric, acting career. Right. Yet she decided to write an episode. And this is the only episode she wrote. And only the second half. She did not write the Verdun half. Make sure you keep that in mind. She didn't write the Verdun half, only the Paris half. Now, with that in mind, first of all, this is a cool, interesting fact of the day. Secondly, Ian McDiarmid is the one playing the father. That's... Carrie Fisher, as Princess Leia, is wrote the episode and wrote the script. And Ian McDiarmid is playing the friend. Now, for those of us serious Star Wars fans, you would have noticed a few references and lots, just a few references that goes back to what we were talking about, how the Indiana Jones movies are just Han Solo's dreams right. while they're carbonite. I'm not going to spoil anything and bring it up because we're going to save all of the Star Wars references for a potential bonus episode later in the podcast. But I just wanted to bring that up for those of you who maybe were wondering, is this a thing? Yes. Ian McDiarmid, obviously playing Indy's uh, father's friend here, there were some references to Star Wars that you may have noticed closely. So it was just hilarious. I loved him seeing it. And, you know, he, he had the same sarcasm as Emperor Palpatine. Some of these quotes were just like him. And so they get there and... He reads a letter from his father. Basically, actually, surprisingly, I thought it was going to be basically like Indy meets the Grinch. But it really was actually kind of a sincere letter almost. And he actually says that Indy can now choose where he goes to school. He no longer has to go to Princeton. Right. I mean, he can just, you know, he can choose where he goes to school. As before, he was going to Princeton, you know. Right, obviously, seen. right. And I find that very interesting. But we, he doesn't really mention it throughout the rest of the episode, which I find very interesting. Right, and that was a big point. And, well, and you know, obviously, he, his father convinced him to go to prison. He wants him to do high school and education, right? We saw that Love Sweet song. But here... Yeah, well, not for long. He decided to go uh, right, off, off to the Belgian to, army, right. right? Mexican Revolution. He's All like, that. You know what? Screw you, father. Bye. Right, <laughs> I mean, basically, literally. And so it was almost like, and he was like, I kind of have a spot in this war. And one thing I wanted to mention, too, is we also see uh, then now... Indy's basically going to spend this whole week with his family. Right. And Indy's like, oh, great. You know, these they have all these, quote-unquote, exciting things planned. We're going to go see museums, lectures, parties, all this sort of stuff. And so Indy's like, sounds great. But... <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like, you know, he lies. And he's basically like, I've got duties here. You know, as much as I'm on leave, I've still got to do things for the Belgian right. army. But he's like, you mm. know what? I'll come with you tonight to this party event, and then I'll go off and, you know, do all these Belgian duties when we really know Indy's just going to be having the time of his life meeting people and, you know, being with Remy. Right, and, you know, he goes to the thing... Which is a very night, fancy right? event, by the way. Right, Talk very... about European flavor, the set design for that, oh, incredible. Like, just the, like... Even the detail, the woodwork, you know, the door, right. just everything. Like, right. you know, oh, it's a door. Well, yeah, but it's right. very European-like. If you've ever been to Europe or, right. you know, anywhere very fancy in Europe, you can, you know that it's very old design, right? Yeah. It's very rustic and very authentic design, you know? Right, because, exactly. It's very detailed, for sure. Right. And that's shown here on the Young Indie Chronicles. And so, um, and so they're at, you know, they're at this kind of party area, and they're going to see... Uh, the Minister of War, actually, who is very, very famous. And so, obviously, uh, the family that Indy is staying with is very excited to stay with them, right? He's super excited. So he decides to go to this event. You know what? We'll just go. And 
then, you know, they're talking with some adults, mm -hmm. and he says, who on earth is that? And they're like, <sighs> that, my dear friend, is the infamous Matahari, and who is actually uh, a friend of the Minister of War. And so they're like, we'll introduce you. And so Indy, of course, meets the Minister of War, and then he meets Matahari. Meanwhile, you know, he's, his eyes are, you know, going crazy. Right. He loves and Matahari from this point on, right? And, you know, as you said, they think she's a German spy, but, as, but, and we kind of get that vibe at first, because it's like, why don't you read me something from your book? Why are right. you here? You know, Now, like... before we get started, I wanted to mention something. First of all, that was hilarious. Uh, when <laughs> uh, Indy's... Uh, the the friends that he knows, right, are talking about Matahari. He's like, Matahari's a dancer. And the wife just goes on and on and on about Matahari. Meanwhile, she's standing right behind them, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. And yeah, then, remember, keep in mind, you may have remembered this, Matahari actually referenced in chapter, or in chapter 6, Spring Break Adventure, when yes. he's with his cousin on that pickup truck. Remember? Yeah. They look through a magazine and they see Matahari in there. And they're like, ooh. Right, exactly. You know? <laughs> and now, transfer to this, now Indy actually is meeting Matahari. And like you said, he goes into this room only to realize Matahari is in there. And he says, you know what, why don't you read me something? And so Indy does read her this book in Greek, kind of. Right, he reads it in Greek and then in uh, English. And she's like, how do I know you're not lying? Like, and he's you know, trying to impress me and all this stuff. And you Meanwhile, she's kind of seducing him the entire time. Literally, right. And that's the thing. Like, You talk about going from like this war episode to meanwhile Matahari seducing Indy. Like, it was a complete <laughs> yes. change of pace. Right, it and was next complete... thing you know, they're in bed together. Which right, I mean... Nothing things... could come from that. I mean, uh... things escalate quickly from here. I mean, so, first of all, you yes. know, Indy obviously is bored with the adults, so he wants to be with Matahari. He reads the book. He clearly tries to impress Matahari, and you can tell that Matahari and Indy are clearly trying to seduce each other, yes, right? Yes, it's obvious, very obvious. It's very obviously. It's quickly they like each other. And then Matahari, you know, they've met each other for, what, 15 minutes by this point? Oh, come to my place for dinner! Right, really? Which, uh, dinner? Right, I think it's a bit exactly, more than that. Right. <laughs> and Indy is quite excited as he goes to the hotel. Now, when he gets to the hotel, bit of a reference to Raiders here, we see in the back here, as Indy goes in the hotel, he's like, you know, I'm here for Matahari, we see this guy has his eyes peered right over a newspaper. Flashback to Major Tote. In the Raiders yes. on the seaplane. Oh, did you I, notice that? I did not. It I was mean, I, very interesting. I noticed the guy, but I didn't think about the, you know, reference. The Raiders. That yeah. was a bit of a Raiders reference. It, I mean, come on. It's George Lucas here. There was no way that wasn't a Raiders reference. I mean, the fact that he had a, he had a top hat on. First right. Of all. He had made a top hat. Right. Sec second of all, he's looking over the newspaper. Second of all, this guy clearly is suspicious, right? You know what I find out very ironic about this? <laughs> we have gotten so many preconceptions from Raiders that now... You see one, uh, you know, blink of an eye above a newspaper. You're like, oh, all hell's going to break loose now. Right! right? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just, it's hilarious how we come with this preconception now. Oh, it's hilarious. And so then uh, he goes up to Matahari's room, and he's actually staying there, right? And white, when he goes up there, the guy comes and asks, who was that? And he's like, oh, it was a nephew of Matahari. So clearly there was some bluffing there as he lied about that. And then... Next thing you know, dinner was supposed to be at 11 p.m. You know, next thing you know, it's 6 a.m. Right! And guess who walks in? Matahari. Right. And, and he's like, and he's like, where have you been this whole where time? Where the hell have you been? It's right. been, you know, what, seven hours, eight hours? You right. Know? And what's very interesting here is now Matahari's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And 
Now we're starting to get the suspicion that something's a bit up with Matahari, uh-huh. right? Clearly, um, she's obviously seducing him in some way. And so then, you know, he's upset being out for so late. And so uh, then they talk over breakfast, yeah. right? So they have breakfast in Matahari's apartment. Indy starts saying how beautiful she is, you know, and uh-huh. it's been 24 hours and Matahari is already coming after Indy. Oh my I gosh. Mean, things escalate quick, escal- quickly. They kiss, you know, next thing you know, they're in bed and oh, good Lord. And then... They try to walk in Paris. And what's interesting that I wanted to bring up is Matahari starts bringing up very interesting quotes. We talked about the title Demons of Deception. She starts talking about how Indy should try to forget about the war. Right. And she starts bringing about present versus past, right? There are still places in the world that are not currently involved in the war, right? Right. And you talk about what I mentioned earlier about this whole idea of you're in the trenches. Next thing you know, you're in Paris with Matahari on a two-week leave. Like... It, it, it changes so rapidly, and I think that's something that kind of hit Indy right. quickly here. And so, yeah, I mean, Matahari is making him forget about the war and make him focus on her, right? Right. I mean, she's a dancer. What do you expect? I mean, she wants right. all the attention on her. Right, exactly. And but what's also interesting is Indy starts kind of almost... He, his thoughts about the war have changed because he's been in the war so much. And, and that's one of the things that I thought was interesting about that. So then, of course, they walk over Paris, right? Um, and the guy is still there. You notice right. he's still looking. He's following them now. Which then, is kind of creepy, by the way. Right. And then they go to this art museum, and they start talking about these themes, you know, over conversation, you know, and how uh, being an artist is something that is interesting because you kind of can, you know, express right. your work and stuff. Um, and then they're like, we'll meet up after dinner. Right. And clearly, and already they both claim that they love each other, right? We right. see that scene right before then. <laughs> and then, so they meet up after dinner, and Indy goes to see Remy. Right. And he goes to see Remy for dinner, and meanwhile, we see Remy at this restaurant. He's having the time of his life! Uh. <laughs> I mean, he's he loves Paris. And, and Indy sees this, you know, other guy. Right. right. And Indy actually, when he gets there, uh, the girls that are with Remy at the time, they claim, like, oh, Indy's in love. And one thing I wanted to mention here that's interesting. First of all, Indy denies the fact that he's in love. Yeah. He denies the fact that he's in love because he knows secretly it's just lust. Right? Yeah. He, he denies now, it. Secondly, he compares it to his relationship with Vicky, if you remember. What's interesting here is he says, uh, yeah. he's like, you're in love. And he's like, well, I'm not really in love yet. Just a few minutes ago, he claimed that he loved Matahari. And what he says here is, it's not the same as it was with Vicky. And it's almost like Indy even knows himself that this relationship is more of just them lusting after each other, right? Right. They've known each other for 24, 36 hours by now. They don't right. even really know each other that much. Right. And, you know, we talked about the relationship with Vicky, how that was so significant part of Indy's life. Right. It shows this contradiction in between those two relationships. Yeah. And, you know, then after that dinner scene, we see Indy is, you know, with her again, right? He's with right. Right. I mean, it's 6 a.m. yet again, right? Yeah. And... Something I found interesting, and he's like, remember, I'm taking you, she has to go out again, right? You yeah. Know, which, again, we're still kind of suspicious. Right, and Indy almost kind of suspects it's another guy, and he's like, so, and, it, and Matahari almost kind of like, is like, so what? And, you know, and he's like, well, you know, that's, right, so it's almost like Matahari kind of is like, well, okay, you know, I'm going to go do with, my, she doesn't really let on too much about her b- private life, really. No, which yeah, is interesting. he's all up in her private life. Right, which is interesting because there's this really contradiction there that does affect them later in, 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 in the episode, for sure. Right, and something I found interesting is, you know, as he's, as, you know, Indy is kind of like, 
he's kind of alone and just walking in Paris, you know, waiting right. to go to the cafe with Matahari, you know, there's this very interesting music with a sitar in it, actually. Right, which is which very interesting. interesting. Yeah. And they actually go to her old house that she's moving out of right after that. Right. And then he kind of helps her pack. And we learn that she actually changed her name. And the movers there are actually the guys that we've been seeing throughout the episode, right. which is interesting. And then Indy put, goes to this old classic RCA you know, yes. record player and puts on some classic music as Matahari realizes that, you know, Indy's never actually seen her dance before. So she dances for Indy in this whole scene, and Indy actually kind of has a few flashbacks during that scene yes. as she dances for her. And then she claims, oh, I've got to go do some errands, and she's very suspicious about it. And this is when things start kind of getting Escalate. intense, right? right? Escalate. And he decides to follow her. And then he goes back to her house and sees this note of a place and a time. Now, something I find interesting is right before that, he walks up the staircase as she's walking down. Right. They miss each other. Right, which is really... She's kind of like timing him, like, right, oh, exactly. I gotta avoid him. And, you know, he sees this place, dials the operator, and he's like, where is this? Right. And he finds it, right? And then he sees Matahari in this restaurant with this other guy who he's Right, he's like, actually the Minister of War. Right. And they're eating dinner together, and clearly they're having fun, they're laughing... And Indy follows. And if you notice, Indy follows them through almost like this dark corridor of alleys. Right, you know? I was wondering what... It, it, first he follows he follows her through alleys. Then like underneath this building kind of corridor area. Right, which is very about. interesting. And it almost kind of like... It definitely symbolizes the nightlife of it. Right. And then, uh, finally, there is lots of suspense building up. Because the guys are still there looking at Indy. Right by this point, they're following Matahari, but now that they've seen Indy with Matahari, they're following Indy as well. Right. So now, Indy decides to climb up the building. And this oh is what gosh. I was talking about in terms of the reference to Passion for Life. Flashback to Chapter 2 Passion for Life, when, when Indy goes to Picasso and he doesn't want Miss Seymour to know that he's leaving, he actually climbs out the window, right. grabs onto the blinds then climbs down all the way on the floor. Here, the reverse happens. He climbs up, goes to the windowsill, and looks and sees them through the blinds. Right. And clearly, Matahari likes this guy. Yeah. And what's so suspenseful here <laughs> is then th there's some noise, and they're like, what is that? Then the guy runs out, but <laughs> punches the blinds open. Indy's just hanging for his life right there. I was like, oh, crap. I know, right? It was so suspenseful, right? And especially what I love, too, it was, was hilarious. funny, but, you know. Exactly, because what's hilarious is he storms through, right? Opens up the blinds, looks out. Both of his hands are braced on the blinds, and Indy is just hanging for his life also, right there. Also, I love how he, did. he just looked out. It was like two seconds. I'm like, uh, okay. Uh, right. And what was interesting, like, too, oh, nothing. is I liked... That they had Indy climb up a building. And I'm because it's so unrealistic yeah. that it's actually pretty cool. Right, it's very unrealistic because, you know, I can't shimmy up a um you no, know pipe right. or on the side of a building, you know. But what's interesting though is that they bring that suspense, right? Right. And I like how they had Indy looking after Matahari because at first we thought, oh, you know, this is just Indy and Matahari and their love for each other, but now yeah, it's no. starting to get serious. Right. And then we go back and they, we see that guy looking at him that was hiding there. And Indy's under arrest now. He's taken in by the police. Right, after he's fallen off the building, right? Right, exactly. And so they start asking him, you know, oh, your couple de France, right? 
You're also Henry Jones. And he brings up, he says, you're also referred to as Indiana Jones. And what I found interesting about that is we've been in this show for so long. And we've only seen him to refer to, as, to Indiana Jones as maybe once or twice. Very rarely, because I mean, it's either Indy, right, right, or Henry Jones, or Junior, or, or you know, <laughs> or, Henry. or couple de France, right? Never Indiana Jones. And to say his full name like that, it was interesting. So then he's like, well... Kind of reminds me of how Marion says it. Indiana Jones. You right, know? exactly, exactly. Um, and then they start making accusations about him. Like, you've been with Mata Hari. Do you know that she's potentially a German spy? And clearly, Indy here is in a lot of trouble. Right. right. He's obviously gotten into this whole mess. Right. He wasn't supposed to be with them. And they think she's a spy. And they put him in jail. Right. And they put him in jail. And the only reason he gets out is because the Belgian leave has been canceled. And at this time during the war, right, if your leave has been canceled, you're going to go back to the Belgian army. Okay, well, it doesn't. there's no reason to keep you prisoner here. Right. right. So the leave has been canceled only a few hours later after he's put in jail. And then he gets out of prison. And after accused of being a spy, and actually there's an unreleased track that plays there, it's very interesting. And immediately, Indy goes right back to Matahari's apartment. Right. Which is very interesting because he meets up with Matahari, and Matahari's like, Where have you been? Like, right. And it's, he's like, Where have you been? He's kind of mad at her, you know? Right, exactly. He's, you know, seen her, seen her with the Ministry of War, right? Right. You know? And, you know, he's like, I have to leave. And she's like, why? Well, my leave has been canceled, and I was in prison, right. and all this other stuff. He and meanwhile, explains to her. you know, she, she's like, and Indy starts to kind of basically say, you know, you've been cheating on me. You've right. been going back, and, you know, they arrested me because they thought you were a German spy. Right. She's like, that's ridiculous. And he's like, well, you've also been with the Ministry of War. And she turns around and just slaps him, right? She slaps Indy. Right. And she's like, you know, you have no right to be... You know, following me around, you've and and he's like, well, you've been lying to me this whole time, right? Right. And this is when things start to get really, really intense and interesting. As we've seen this whole kind of, you know, go back to the beginning of the you know party thing at the event, right? They clearly liked each other so much. Now here, they're almost furious at each other. Right. You know, they're furious at each other, and you know, Indy has to leave, and he's like, "I'll, I'll, you know, I have to leave in the morning. Good night. And, you know... And what's interesting here, too, is also, you know, they each tell her they'll be following him, and there's kind of this lying aspect, and he's like, you know what? You only wanted, you only wanted me here for your pleasure. Right. right. You know, and, the, and they both kind of realize this idea of love versus lust, right? Right. That this really wasn't a loving relationship, no, right? No, it wasn't. And this whole thing with the German spy thing... I thought it was kind of interesting that they added that aspect into the story to yeah. make her suspect as a German spy. And, you know, speaking of which, did you think she was actually a Ger- Because they never cleared this up. Do you think she was a German spy in the end? Or what was your opinion on this whole ending scene? Because think, it's very controversial. I think she was just in love with the Ministry of War. I mean, you know, the Ministry of War was yeah. there in the beginning, you know. And he's, you know, I think she was just... Maybe she was a German spy? I don't really know. Yeah, I, I think it was hard to say. I think... What was interesting, though, is we clearly f- see that Matahari clearly had a lot of things going on. Oh, yeah. That definitely had to do with the war. I, I-, I think her involvement in the war was definitely certain. Right. I-, I definitely think she was involved in the war in Somehow. some capacity. Right. I wouldn't go to the extent to say that she was a German spy, though. I don't know if I believe that. But they definitely really alluded to that a lot Right. They did. in the whole episode, which is interesting. And this is when and he's basically like, you know... I'm leaving now. But what's interesting is right before he leaves, they actually hug. Which yes. is interesting at the end there because 
this whole contradiction of, you know, them being upset at each other, but then still realizing they did have some sort of relationship with each other. And they hug there at the end. And then what's interesting is as Indy leaves, he goes out into the street, Paris, right? The dark street. And he turns around and Matahari is standing in the window. And they look back at each other. And then Indy turns, grabs all those gear, goes out. And we have the fade to in black and white, white and the credits. And that concludes the episode. Now, overall, uh, what were your thoughts on this episode, just in terms of both of these halves? I personally liked the first half better, because I felt like the Matahari half, basically, the Mm -hmm. second half in, you know, Paris, it was kind of slow-moving a lot. I mean, you know, and also, we kind of have the reoccurring thing here, where, like, Indy suspects Matahari, and then he follows her. And, you know, it kind of goes on, on and on, and... Basically, a lot of it was, you know, him suspecting Matahari and being mad at Matahari and him being, you know, kind yeah. of alone in Paris. It's not very action-packed as the beginning was because, you know, he's messaging all around and everything. Uh, what specifically did you like about the first half more than the second half? I, it's hard to tell, but I, again, I liked when he was, you know, m- you know, being the motorcycle messenger and just riding everywhere, like in blink blink of a second you know he's every he's here he's there he's here he's there you know he's going back and forth and everywhere right and now one thing i did want to ask you it's obviously we know that these two parts were not one episode right these clearly had an underlying theme which i will get to in a second but in terms of just these two episodes together did you like these two episodes being paired together yes and no i kind of like them together they fit together i would say well with the transition but again, I didn't. As I said, I didn't really like the second half mainly because it's not very action packed at all. So, yes and no. I guess you could okay. say. Okay. What I thought now, one thing I wanted to bring up before we end here is I did a little bit of research on this episode. The first half, Verdun, nineteen sixteen. Some consider this the best young indie episode out of them all. The first half, not necessarily the whole thing with the Mata Hardy thing. Verdun, but specifically Verdun. Also, fun fact: this was Sean Patrick Flannery's favorite episode verdun 1916 the first half of demons of deception this was his favorite episode do you think this first half of the episode stands out a little bit more to some of the other episodes you've seen so far yes i would say so i mean it i would kind of say that the first part of demons of deception is basically kind of like a summary of trenches of hell a little bit almost it's it's an interesting continuation it gives us a different perspective yes it does which is interesting as well and i like that now in terms of the idea of the title demons of deception it's this idea of deception right right things that are deceiving right we obviously see in the first half here what's deceiving is we have these different perspectives of what's going on with germany right right that's deceiving and then we almost kind of have the demons, then the demons being Germany. Right. Then in the second half, we've got Matahari, the whole deception of, is she a German spy? What was he hiding behind her back? So the idea of kind of demons of deception here, I thought was a creative title that did pair these episodes well together. Yeah, they definitely did. I mean, because again, you know, I guess demons of deception kind of describes Matahari up in one because she's a demon. Right. Because she's betraying Indy. Right. And... You know, she's deceiving him as well. Right. So Now, one thing I will mention as well is I wasn't a huge fan of the second half either. Yeah. I, I just thought, also, considering this is an educational show, I thought it was a little bit too a, serious. Too to graphic in- a little bit. I yeah, guess to say. include this whole Mata Hari portion. I mean, this was a show that was made for families and kids. 
first of all, not much history going on in the second half at all. No. Secondly, you're talking about a very, like, teenager at least in terms of who should be viewing the second half here. Yes. Like, I was curious about that idea. Also, I did think, though, I wanted to bring this up as well. Did you think it was important to have Indy experience? He obviously experienced a very good relationship with someone like Vicky, only to realize what it was like kind of being seduced and kind of the lust of someone like uh, Matahari here and this kind of idea of love versus war that we talked about in some of the other episodes. Did you think that that was important to see or was this kind of an episode, this second half here, that really wasn't needed? I don't know. I, I mean, again, I think it, I don't think it was needed, but they could have improved it and it could have been much better. Like what? if they had included like... What, who Mount Hardy was and all that, you know, it could have been much more interesting. And if they had, you know, done that instead of the, you know, scenes with him, with her and Indy and, but, you know, they could have, they could have definitely included some more history in there in the scenes that were very, very slow. Yeah, I think that would have been interesting as well. And overall, I think this was an interesting episode that had a lot of different aspects to it. Uh, and kind of did show, I think, overall the theme here that we got is just there's different perspectives of war here. Yeah. And as this is a different episode, I'm with this abrupt ending here as Indy goes back into the war, we now realize we're going to get a different chapter of the war. And so we'll be moving on to chapter 10 soon enough. Um, and I think that kind of that concludes today's episode. So uh, if you're interested, obviously next week we're going to have the score review for Verdun 1916, looking at Joel McNeely's fantastic score to that episode. On um, the track you heard today was uh, Visiting Remy which is when he actually does visit Remy, uh, and we paired that up with the quote, of course, from Ned's journal, as always. Um, and I think, again, this overall was a very interesting episode to see. Each one, I think, is so different and unique, you know? Yeah. And that's what I really enjoy about these episodes, and I know you do, too, as well, Max. So, uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us, and we'll be back with another episode next week, as always. Once again, I'm Max. And I'm Will. And until next time, so, so long, Dr. Jones. Jones.